Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. so fun to be able to celebrate such a good God and uh, what he's doing right here in our midst. Um, Welcome to those of you that are joining in online with us. Glad that you're here. Super thankful for those of you in the room with us too. We're in week two of a series called Experiencing God and uh, uh, I bought this hula hoop for $10, $11 almost, rip off, at Walmart and uh, So I figured I'd get two weeks out of it to get my money's worth. But I also wanted to catch you up if you weren't able to join in last week or just by way of reminder for the rest of us. We're talking about God's heart for you and I to be able to experience him, actually experience him and enjoy him. That's his heart's desire. Not we just have like an intellectual understanding about him, but we experience him. We're also coming to discover is that we best experience him when we are inside his will. And so picture for just a minute that this hula hoop inside here represents the general will of God. Now we're also aware that there's a whole bunch of things outside the hoop. And our God is sovereign, he's in control, he's Lord over everything outside the hoop and certainly inside the hoop but his will is inside. What's also inside is where we best experience him. And knowing that his heart is for you and I to experience him, we're on a journey together this summer to to just get better at uh, figuring out what God's will is. And we, we would discover it and then we would put it into practice. We'd actually do God's will. Um, I, I think we mentioned last week, we've got some resources. One, God's word. God's word is your best resource, the Bible, at discovering God's will. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to put one in your hands. So there's people online that can help you to that end. There's people in the lobby that can help you to that end right here today. There's also kind of a good companion piece. There's material called Experiencing God, written by Blackaby, that... Uh, there's a number of different versions of it. In our lobby, we've got two different versions. If you want a deep dive, then you'll look for this hardback that looks like this called Experiencing God. If you want a little bit more of a study, a little bit more of a daily devotional, then you'll want to look for this one called The Seven Realities for Experiencing God. It's brown and it looks like this. But you can engage deeper. We can take this time that God has when we're all gathered together in his word, and then maybe God would use some of this material as well uh, on your own just to supplement what he wants to do, that we'd give this whole summer to him, that we wouldn't lose ground or just go on cruise control, but rather maybe have him move us and grow us in a capacity that we just hadn't maybe expected going into this summer. You know, when I think about like my life and God's will, There's a lot of nuances to it. 
There's intricacies to it. And you think about your life with regard to how you've responded to God's will, or even if you would say, I'm aware of what his will is or not, much less than putting into practice. It's complicated. It can be messy, can't it? For me, I I jotted down a handful of things that were kind of nuances to God's will and my life. These were specific to me, but I would imagine that might relate to some of you. You might have others on your list. Some of these may hit home, others not so much. But when I think about these things, I tend to gravitate toward these things. It's not always, this isn't spiritual law, but in me and my experience with God's will, here's how it plays out for the most part. I tend to focus my inquiries about God, what is your will, around my plans, not necessarily his plans. When I get to the point where I am asking the question, God, what's your will, I tend to direct them down to me and my specific plans, often to the neglect of his general will or what he's already revealed to me in his word. That's just how I tend to operate. I also tend to consult him most in big decisions, tough decisions. When reality is that that I think it's a sum total of a lot of little decisions that best train our ear to the voice of God. And is he interested in the big and the tough and the challenging decisions? You bet. Does he have something to speak into those moments? You bet. But so with all of the countless little decisions, how we spend our hours each day, and and maybe venturing into a coffee shop, he might have something for you to partner with him when you just thought you were going in for coffee you stop long enough and recognize in these little moments, he might have something for you too. I also tend to do nothing unless I get the crystal clear sign. Unless there's the lightning bolt, there's the the heavens open, angels descend and speak to me, I tend to kind of do nothing, especially I've been praying about something, asking God about something, and then I'm like, oh, I I haven't heard it crystal clear yet, so I'm going to pause completely until I do here. Now, there are times where it would be incredibly wise we should wait for clarity from God. We'll discover later in this series that he wants to bring clarity to his will in general, but also for particular moments in your life. But while we're waiting, there's also a whole bunch of other things that we can be doing that are also a part of his will. There's that reality that it's easier to steer a car that's moving than one that's parked. And so as I'm going about my days, trying to be tuned in to the will of God and the ways of God, then there's plenty of me for for me to do while I'm also waiting for clarity over here. Does that make sense? Now, ironically, here's the other weird part. While I would love the crystal clear sign and word all the time, I'm pretty happy settling for an arbitrary sign too, when it's in my favor. You know, you really want something and then you've kind of prayed for God to get on board with what you want. You know what I'm talking about? 
and then a coincidence happens to line up in your favor and you're like, oh, look, there's the sign. Here we go. And that's just kind of the nuances and intricacies of it. And so for us, whether you're not a believer yet and you're trying to figure out what this is all about, you're a new believer and trying to discern the will of God or coming to learn that he has one that's maybe newer for you or for some of you that, that have been around the block with Jesus for a while and you're going, you know, I, I believe I could still get better at figuring out God's will. I, I believe he could still train my ear and my heart to his voice better than it ever has been before. Then we have to allow God to do some work here in us. I think just for the record, just simply for the record, we've got to state it flat and clear. God has a will, and it's always our best option. He has a will, and to partner with him in it, to say, recognize, God, you're at work here, and so for me to just to partner with you, in the work that I see you doing, that would be to be in his will. He's got a will, but I know you and I have a will too, right? And our will is sometimes in opposition to God's will. And there can be a real slugfest when it comes to God's will versus your will. That's why I love the humanity of Jesus at the cross there. Just before he's gonna go to the cross, the evening before, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane not real familiar with the story, he takes a couple of his buddies with him, invites them to pray while he goes to pray to the Father. He is overwhelmed with what is to come in his humanity. He knows the cross is coming. He knows it's going to be an excruciating experience, quite literally. And Luke records that it begins to sweat blood. And in his humanity, there's this glimpse of me and you. And he prays to the Father, take this cup from me. If there's any other way than the cross, I'd be open to it. That's my paraphrase. But then he says this, but not my will in his humanity, but your will be done. And in that moment, he models for us how we should be submitting our will to, to the will of the Father. Now, all throughout scripture, we're reminded that God has a will. Last week, we hit this verse that I'll remind you of out of Colossians chapter one, that Paul and his protege Timothy were praying over believers in Colossae. They prayed, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that, then there's an experience that comes with the will, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Ephesians, if you just go a couple pages to the left in your Bible, Paul wrote to believers in a city called Ephesus, and in verse 15 through 17, he, he brings up this concept of will again, another good word for us. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days 
are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. See, for all this stuff going on outside the hoop, there's some real sweetness and goodness going on inside the hoop. What's inside the hoop isn't always easy, but it's always better. And if we just kind of allow ourselves to drift in the cultural river, it's going to tend to pull us outside the hoop. The cultural river does not lead to the center of God's will. And so we have to be careful rather than being careless about understanding the culture, understanding the world, understanding ourselves, understanding what the Lord's will is. The cultural river is gonna take us places that hurt us, harm us, and our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, and God simply just doesn't want you to have to experience a whole bunch of that hurt and pain and junk. And so he invites us quite graciously and kindly and gently into the center of the hoop. I love that about him. You just look around and the culture's, culture's got huge influence, doesn't it? Now there's a lot of really good stuff in culture, a lot. And there's a lot of stuff in culture that isn't good at all. And so how do we navigate those moments? I had the unfortunate uh, journey just this last week of looking at old photos of me. And if you want like a, a visual of how culture can negatively impact you, look at what we wore over those days. Look at that. I'm probably 6'2", 90 pounds. I have the legs of a stork. My shorts are eating their way all the way up my body. They're, they're right at chest level. And the shirt is too long. The shorts are too short. My kids looked at me and said, what is that? I said, this is just, that's what was going on back then. And, and just a few years later, it got worse. I found my, my senior picture. Look. What is my hair doing? It has assumed this, this gumby sort of shape to my, my head. I had just emerged from the flock of seagulls era where that wave went up even higher and then came down over my eye. It took me nine cans of hairspray to spot weld that thing into place. It's hideous. I could see why God took it all away from me. <laughs> it's bad. But the culture, the culture sometimes influences us to do silly, goofy things, but then there's also times where it's not just silly, goofy. Sometimes culture pulls us in directions that are hurtful, damaging, and actually evil. And so for us to come to understand what God's will is in contrast to that is just, it's his heart. Romans chapter 12 is a familiar chapter that really walks us through what the gospel starts to look like, a gospel-centered life starts to look like in all its various forms. And Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, that I really think get to the heart of how you and I can get better at figuring out God's will. If he has a will and we wanna improve at it, then help me out, Lord. 
Give me something to hand on, hang on to here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You and I are called to be worshipers at our core. And that doesn't just happen when we're here singing songs together. Our whole lives can be a life of worship. We're declaring the praises of our God who is so merciful and so good. And we do that by becoming a living sacrifice. In other words, it's kind of a constant process whereby we lay down our will for his. Because stepping into the hoop isn't always easy. It's why we often have one foot in and one foot out or avoid it altogether. But as followers of Jesus, in in view of how good and sweet and merciful he is, that'll always be that reminder, hey, inside with me, that's always best. And, And he wants to do the work in us so that we can know where to find him at work, where his will is. Paul gives us some helps in verse two. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, if you want to be able to test if this is God's will or not, and then if it is, approve of it and partner with him in it, then here's what you do. One, two punch. Don't conform to the world's ways and let God transform the way that you think. It's the one, two punch. Easier said than done. I totally get that. But if we want to discern God's will and get better at it so that we can experience God and enjoy God, then here's how we go about that. Here's how we get better at discerning his will. We stop conforming to the ways of this world and we let God change the way that we think. We allow him to change our mind. We allow him to change our heart. Once that transformation is cultivated and underway, then our radar is up, our ears are tuned, our heart is tuned, our mind is tuned to where God's at work and where his will is so that we can say, yes, Lord, I'm diving in to the middle of the hoop with you. Now, conforming, conforming to the ways of the world. He starts with that, with a real strong warning not to. And and I think that's for good reason because it is just flat out human nature for all of us to conform. Conform to each other, conform to the culture, conform to the ways of the world. Then if if you've stepped into a relationship with Jesus, now it gets real complicated. It's tough because we we get direction from God. We get word in the scripture saying things like, If people are into this, this, and this, and this, have nothing to do with such people. Oh. Then over here it says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Huh. 
I'm supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'm supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. Okay, can you help me with this? Are we supposed to be in or are we supposed to be out? And so how does that line up with conforming to the ways of the world? Here, here's, here's kind of the spectrum of challenge that we face as followers of Jesus in our world. Here's the spectrum. On one end, I'd say we deal with excessive adaptation. That's the temptation we face. Or on the other end of the spectrum, excessive confrontation. These are kind of the pendulum ends where, where we would either attend to this excessive adaptation, meaning we blend in too much, or we swing way over here to excessive confrontation, or I'd say excessive exclusivity, where we, we stand out too much. And yet, there's something probably more healthy in, in the middle that, that is taught biblically. And so that's what we're trying to figure out, but it does take discernment. The temptation is, for many of us, when we first get real zealous about following Jesus, it's excessive confrontation or ex excessive exclusivity Okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to blend in at all. I'm not going to conform at all to the ways of this world. And if we take it too far and miss the rest of the full wisdom of Scripture, then what that looks like is we're just mean, angry, judgmental, pharisaical. We are constantly proclaiming the truth without any sort of grace. And it's always about what we are against rather than what we're for. And there's no winsome love, grace, mercy of God in that. The exclusive or excessive exclusivity would be like, okay, I'm not going to fight, but I'm not going to join in. Any of you ever just wanted to get like 200 acres out in the middle of Montana <laughs> and move into the middle of the 200 acres and not have to deal with anybody except the one or two people that you like ever again? I mean, it is an option, and it's crossed my mind more than once, but it really is not an option as a follower of Jesus. We're called to engage and be involved, sometimes in some really messy situations, but then often if we swing too far the other way, we're back at excessive adaptation where the way I spend my money, my resources, my time, my energy, my words, the way I behave, the way I think, none of it looks any different than someone who doesn't know God. Okay, well then we got a whole different set of problems in that. I'd say it maybe this way. I think as followers of Jesus, I don't believe that we are here to wage war with culture, and I don't believe we're here to withdraw from culture. I believe we're here to witness to the culture. We're to be a witness, a winsome witness there about Jesus and his grace. And so, yeah, it's tough, but that's all the more reason why we need to tune our ear to the will of God and the ways of God and figure out what that is, give him, allow us to give us discernment, how to navigate 
so that we're not just swinging the pendulum back and forth all the time. I really think what's best for us now is to kind of adopt like a mindset that we're really exiles. If you believe in Jesus, you trust Jesus, you're walking with Jesus, then we're probably more akin to the era in the Old Testament where the people of God have been dragged off into captivity. They were the minority and they were exiles. Uh, Daniel gives one such account. You might want to read this week. Read the first half of Daniel. Because Daniel and his friends did a really good job at figuring out how to navigate in a culture that was totally different than what they were used to. When they got dragged off, they were surrounded by people and traditions and religion and customs and you name it that were not godly. And yet somehow they figured out which battles to fight. They figured out how to be winsome and dynamic witnesses and examples. Even rising to positions of leadership within that culture. And yet at the same time, they didn't waffle on their core convictions. That's something I I need to get better at. And I think as Christians in general, we need to get better at that. So this conforming to the ways of the world is a big deal because we really want to do this. We, we ultimately just want to get so good at hearing the voice from within the hoop and make sure that it's louder constantly than all the voices outside the hoop. And so if you're just starting to kind of process and figure out how do I, when, when do I speak up and when do I shut up, God will speak into that. But I'd propose maybe just for a starter here that we would start with a, a conviction around who Jesus is. Start with the conviction that is unwavering about Jesus and the gospel. Because there's all these other things that even divide believers, but the gospel and the person and the work of Jesus Christ is our only way to have a relationship with God, our only way to be rescued from sin. That's all because of who Jesus is, what he's done for us. So I got questions, I gotta figure out all the rest, yes, but I'm not gonna waver on the gospel. I'm not gonna waver on Jesus. And that's always the best anchor and the best starting point because remember, you you know this, what the people that you care about around you need is Jesus, not just a behavior change. And when we get to be in the full white hot center of a relationship with Jesus, well then our hearts, minds, and then subsequent behavior will transform too, but not without Jesus. And I think when it gets down to it, the real core, the real key to not conforming to the ways of this world is being transformed. If you really want to, if you really want to resist confirmation, then it goes hand in hand with saying, okay, Lord, I'm gonna allow you to transform me. Once we start praying that, I'll allow you to transform me, then the conforming to the ways of the world gets better. I think it does kinda get us standing out in a, in a good way when we're being transformed. I saw this picture of a, uh, a fan at a sporting event, look at this dude. So I love about this is that he's at the game. He's a fan of sports in general. 
and yet he's wearing different colors. There's, there's still some dynamic there that it's making clear that he's for a different team. And yet, I'd hope that he'd conduct himself in a way that would be winsome about what the other team is like. One, so that he could survive getting through this game alive. And two, just in a gospel sense that we would do that. That people get an accurate read on Jesus. But allowing God to transform us, that's the way that he's gonna do it best. Transformation is really like marination. <laughs> Any of you barbecue people, you know if you take that slab of meat and marinate it in something, the longer that it sits in whatever marinade it is, the more it takes on its flavor. And that's true out in the world. If we stay out there for a long time, we will take on its flavor. Same if you stay in the middle of the hoop, in the center of God's will, God's activity, God's work then we marinate in that and we will take on his flavor. But that marination takes time. Some of the most flavorful meat is one that's been marinating for a really long time. And that word transformation, it makes me think of metamorphosis, which makes me think of bugs. And so I did a little deep dive on caterpillars for you this week, thank you very much. Caterpillars are cool. There's the caterpillar there, and that's the larva stage. I mean, they start as a little egg that hatches, but then in the caterpillar stage, the caterpillar has one job, and its job is to feed. And, and as it's feeding, it's, it's going to grow some hundred times its size. You remember the kid's book, The Hungry Little Caterpillar? And it just mows through all sorts of food because that's its job during that season. It's just to feed. And, and as followers of Jesus, we've got a caterpillar season. We've got a season where we must feed on the word of God and the ways of God and allow the spirit of God just to, to wash over us. We'd stand under everything that he is and all that he's got for us like a waterfall and just feast and feed on him. When, when we're new to the faith, I think there's a component of feeding certainly that goes on throughout our whole life, but in particular when you're starting or in particular when you're in challenging situations, come back and feed again. Let him nourish you. That might be the season that you're in. It's part of your transformation is to feed. When the caterpillar moves on to the pupa stage or the chrysalis cocoon stage, and they kind of wall themselves off. And depending on the species of caterpillar, I discovered that this particular stage, when they're in the chrysalis, can last anywhere between a couple of weeks up to two years, some are in there. Now, that's fascinating to me. The cool part about this stage is this. From the outside, it doesn't look like much is going on at all. But, oh, on the inside, on the inside, huge transformation is taking place. And as Christians, 
We have a chrysalis cocoon, pupa stage two, where what we have fed on or come to intellectually understand must begin to transform our heart. It must begin to transform us from the inside out, including the way that we think, including our thought processes, our mind. And as we allow that work, which never looks particularly special from the outside, maybe to you yourself or to others around you. Don't mistake, though, that on the inside, God's still doing something. And maybe you're in that season right now of transformation. But eventually, it gives way to the butterfly. And you know how it wraps up. Eventually, the butterfly comes out, and the butterfly can fly, which is pretty cool, especially compared to the caterpillar. The butterfly, many of them are absolutely gorgeous to, to behold. But the job of the butterfly is to reproduce. And that's the same for me and you. We've fed on him, we've allowed him to do the heart work and the mind work, and now we're ready to fly. And we're ready to reproduce what Jesus has been doing in our heart and our mind into the people around us. That's discipleship, whereby we just come alongside each other, link arms with each other, and say, I know it's hard to navigate the world's ways compared to God's ways. But here's, here's how God has worked in me. Let me help you through these cycles. And you and I might go through, unlike a caterpillar to butterfly just does that one time, you and I might have multiple seasons of feeding and then multiple seasons of the heart season, multiple seasons then where we are ready to fly, and then there might be something that comes and we have to double back and go, okay, I'm not ready to fly. My wing took an injury here. I need to get back to feed. Well, why are we doing this again? From God's perspective, it's to transform us by the renewing of our mind, so that we'll know his will as contrasted to our will. And when you know his will as contrasted to yours, and step into it, join him in it. You're at work, and all I gotta do now is join you there. That's God's will for you and me. Then you'll experience him. Then you'll get to enjoy him and be in that vibrant relationship that he so desires. I'm wondering if we could just start kind of simple. Because it's tough, right? It's tough to figure out what God's will is, especially when we're still letting him transform us and maybe our ears aren't as tuned, our hearts aren't as tuned, our mind isn't as tuned, our discernment's not quite honed in yet. You go, great, I, I want to do your will, God, and partner with you in that so I can experience you. Okay. I got something really good for you. We're gonna do it together, and I made it really simple. God made it really simple. First Thessalonians chapter five. Here's how simple it is, because the verse actually says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's cool, right? You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to wonder or think about it. Is this God's will, or is this just mine? No, it says it right here in the verse. So he's taken the work out right here. And here's the invitation for you to participate with him in his will. Rejoice always. 
okay, I get it. Easier said than done. Inside the hoop is rejoice always. Rejoice never, that's outside the hoop. Rejoice when it's convenient or there's obvious reason to rejoice. Well, that's when you've got one foot in and one foot out. Pray continually. Wait, like continually? I can't pray while I'm driving. Yes, you can. You don't need to bow your head and close your eyes every single time you pray. You can talk to him all the time. Pray continually. And then give thanks in all circumstances. All, even when they're tough or even when I don't know what's going on, all, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It, gives, it says give thanks in all. And all means all, and that's all all means. And so we're supposed to. And what I've discovered is that there's times where I'm going through something legitimately icky, but if I do the will of God in that instance and I give thanks in the midst of the icky, it forces me to remember all of the blessings that I've got despite the legitimate challenges. And it pulls my heart and my mind right back into the hoop, which I think is just so key. So what if, you guys, what if we did this for 30 days together? You want to make a commitment, then go for it. Commit to doing this will of God for 30 days. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Every day, often, for 30 days straight. That's his will for you. You think that you'll experience more of God and what it is to walk with God if you just put that part of his will into practice every single day? I think so. I'm going to actually give it a test because I'm not always great at this. But I'll partner with you 30 days in. All of this stuff of discerning God's will and how it intersects with our life compared to just what God's general will is in general, you know, it, it's It's tough. You know who's particularly susceptible to getting dragged into the ways of the world? One, it's, it's all of us. Two, it's uh, people who are new in their relationship with the Lord because your roots are so shallow. You just haven't had a whole lot of time to feed yet. You know who also is really susceptible to the conforming versus the transforming? It's our kids and our students. If you're a kid or you're a student that's in here, if I can just speak to that for just a minute, you, you are prime territory for the enemy to come gunning after you. Because you're still learning and you're still growing, you're easy to get picked off. But God has a will for you and it's not someday when you're an adult. He's got a will for you right now. And the enemy's doing anything he can to pull you out of the hoop, the center of God's will. And so if you incline your ear to his heart and allow him to immerse you in who he is and what he's got for you, and you just give it a shot, he'll start some work there. And he'll give you strength, he'll give you direction, He'll give you clarity. This is right. This is true. This is better. This is life. It's not death. I guarantee it. So would you let him?
students. And of students who I'd say maybe is most susceptible right now, graduates. We just got through, a bunch of you just graduated. My goodness, my heart goes out to you because you are about to have a tsunami of what the world has to offer. Just come rushing right towards you. And so I, I wanna pray for you and we wanna pray for you in a moment. We, we honor your work and your, we celebrate what God has done and got you through. You've done a good job. Or maybe you're graduating from college and transitioning a new season of life. You're susceptible too. We honor and celebrate what you've been working at. But we have a couple of our ministry leaders right here at the church. Uh, Pastor Tony over our high school ministry here at Brownsburg and then uh, Pastor Michael, it's location pastor, associate location pastor and, and youth pastor over in Avon. And they wanted to share their heart uh, just a little bit about the seniors and uh, what God's up to and join with them in prayer. So take a look at what they had to say. Hey, I'm Tony and I'm here with Michael. We're two of the student pastors here at Connection Point. God has given us a bold vision to raise a strong generation and our students are the core of that vision. Today's Connection Point kids and students will become tomorrow's Christ-centered leaders. It is our desire that as students graduate from high school and begin their lives as young adults, that they have found their identity in Christ and the word of God as their source of truth. Tony and I are so excited today to celebrate our graduating seniors and our student ministry as they step out into their next phase of life. For many of our students and their parents, this is such a monumental moment that we are honored to get to play a small part in. Last weekend in Avon, I had the pleasure of celebrating some of our seniors. As a community, we were able to present them with a Bible and a special letter of encouragement, pray over them, and celebrate what God is doing. And this month at Brownsburg, we celebrated our class of 2023 during our annual senior celebration service. It was a night full of tears, laughter, honor, and glorifying Jesus as seniors and their closest family and friends gathered to celebrate this major life accomplishment. Michael and I are so proud and excited to launch this senior class into their next phase of life in following Jesus. And we hope you join us in praying for and encouraging these seniors. As a new student pastor for our Avon location, it has been such a joy to see the investment and focus Connection Point has on our next generation. I can already tell that God is going to use our Avon students to impact their community and to grow the church. So thank you, Connection Point, for your continued support, investment, and prayers for not only our seniors we are celebrating today, but for the thousands of kids and students that God has and will entrust to us. That's awesome, That's so good. And so graduates, uh, we wanna pray for you, but this is a prayer that goes much further than just the graduates. It goes really for all of us that are just linking arms together and with Jesus this summer to say, Lord, would you allow me to get better figuring out your will so that I can experience you the way that you really, really intended. I've got something for us, if you don't mind, if you'd stand right where you are, I'd like to close this with a prayer that comes straight from Hebrews. And as we stand, I'm gonna invite you to pray this aloud with me. I, I will pray these prompts straight from Hebrews chapter 13, I'll say it. And then if you wouldn't mind, just in unity together, repeat the same thing right after I have gone. 
We'll just pray this for and pray this over our graduates, pray this for and pray this over each other, that he would allow us to experience him all the more as we tune our ears to his will. So pray after me. Now, may the God of peace, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Awesome. We love your connection. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.